Hey everyone, we are really excited for today's episode of Better With You, which is on personality types and friendship. Excuse the quality of our first phone interview and stick around to the end of this episode where we introduce two important contributors to our show, Sarah Bisha, our creative producer, and her husband, Andy, who helps us distribute this podcast, have their own insightful, touching, and super hysterical conversation about personality as he takes the test on 16personalities.com. But I think what really captured my attention with the Myers-Briggs is that uh, it gives you four letters for your code. Like, it'll give you a four-letter code for your personality. And initially, I thought it was just about those four letters, those four personality traits. It's so much more than that. Hello, my name is Anthony Esser. And my name is Miles Woodfield. And welcome to our podcast, Better With You. Here, we bring together people from all walks of life to dive deep into unique stories of how friendships can shape and guide us for the better. A good friend is family that you find along the way. I actually didn't like him when I first met him. (laughs) Anyway. It's beautiful to have friends. So you're pretty much the greatest friend I've ever had. Aww. So today's episode is about personality types. And in preparation for talking about personality and friendship, we took the Myers-Briggs personality inventory, uh, specifically on 16personalities.com, website which we'll have in our show notes. Um, So, Miles, what was your personality type that you got? Mine was uh, what is called an ENTP. Yes, and we probably should back up and tell people what those letters even mean, what that is all about. So Myers-Briggs basically is a theory of personality that proposes there's eight different ways that we kind of perceive and judge and interact with the world. Um, So there's four different categories. The first is between introverted and extroverted. And this is the category of mind. It shows how we interact with our surroundings. So introverted individuals usually prefer to be alone. They tend to have quiet and, and sensitive to external sim- stimulation and things. We probably This is a category we probably understand the most when we talk about being introverted and extroverted. Extroverted people obviously preferring groups and social interaction. And The second category is between people who are observant and intuitive, represented by the letters either S or N. Um, and this has to do with how we see the world and process information, what this uh, website calls energy. Um, so observant people are usually practical, very pragmatic. Um, intuitive people tend to be more imaginative and open-minded. Um, they prefer the more novel approach to possibilities. Um, the third category is kind of about our nature, and it determines how we make decisions and cope with emotions. So the two different types there are thinking and feeling. So thinking individuals focus more on objectivity and rationality. Feeling individuals are sensitive, emotionally expressive, more empathetic, and less competitive. Um, that last category is between uh, judging and perceiving, obviously J or P. Um, and this has to do with how we approach work and planning and decision making. So judging people are more decisive and highly organized. And P, sorry, is prospecting. Uh, individuals are really good at improvising and spotting new opportunities. So, uh, so Miles, what struck you about the description of your personality type ENTP? Uh, I mean, obviously the fact that... So 
there's a lot. It's actually uncanny how accurate the description is um, when I read it. I am what is known as the debater, um, meaning that I am a devil's advocate. I argue with people, I question the norm, and I really don't care about feelings in the process. Um, I have a tendency to burn bridges and... Uh, you know, some people don't like to be questioned in their beliefs and their uh, philosophy, and um, people with my type have a tendency to uh, kind of bowl over people's sensibilities just for the sake of being right or figuring out what is right. Yeah, it struck me in the description of your uh, personality type, again, ENTP. Um, it, it does say that, that you inadvertently plow through others' thresholds for having their beliefs questioned. Um, while brushing their feelings aside. And at the the end of that part of the description, it says that you find yourself respected for your vision, confidence, knowledge, and keen sense of humor, but often struggle to utilize these qualities as the basis for deeper friendships and romantic relationships. And I think that, um, while that's definitely true, um, that you are respected for those qualities uh, and haven't always been able to use those things for relationships, tending more towards, um, you know, questioning people and, and seeking after truth and knowledge kind of at the cost of of people's feelings and, and kind of like thresholds for tolerating that, those difficult conversations. I think you've learned to apply those things to relationships. Um, and I think a big... Yeah, so... Yeah, go ahead. So, so when I was um, in college... Uh, I had a girlfriend who broke up with me one time because she said that I was Dr. House. Um, and <laughs> she was like, I can't be with you anymore, your house. And I was like, well, that's a great compliment. And she's like, no, it's not. That's not a compliment. Um, so, you know, there's a... Back then, you know, I, I, it's really interesting is that back then I actually took the Myers-Briggs when I was in school and I got ENFP, which is what you are. And now it has developed into uh, an EN... TP, which is different. So personality <laughs> changes. Like, well, it's it just interesting to me how the personality can change and how it can morph based on your life experiences. Um, but you're right. Like, like me harnessing that energy and focusing it towards, you know, decision making, uh, leadership. Um, you know, learning how and when to question people is a huge, huge thing um, for people like me. What, what What was your part? Well, you were an ENFP, right? Yes, I was an ENFP, which they call a campaigner. Um, and they say some nice things about campaigners. They're true free spirits, the life of the party, and um, very charming, independent, and compassionate. Um, but um, but campaigners, uh, they also say need to be careful, um, because if we can rely too much on our intuition um, and assume or anticipate too much about a friend's motivations, kind of being too sensitive to that feeling part. Um, and sometimes can misread signals or, um, maybe just make too much of something that someone is feeling. Um, and I think that's, I found that to be true in my friendships, even in my work relationships where I'm sensitive to maintaining those relationships, trust and, and feelings, but sometimes a little, uh, a little too sensitive to you know maybe beating even beating around the bush for not saying things outright because of it yeah i think it's fascinating that you and i have such radically different personality types i mean in terms of how we interact with people we are on the exact opposite sides of the spectrum you are 
very sensitive towards people's emotions and their feelings and how they're perceiving the situation. And I could care very little (laughs) about um, how people perceive me and how their feelings are going on. And and it's amazing to me that you and I can maintain our relationship despite the fact that we are so different. Yeah, well, I think we we, uh, provide a good balance for each other in that I, th- I hope that I've helped make you more aware of how people are feeling and be sensitive in, in situations where that is important. And and you've kind of reminded me where to, you know, kind of move forward and challenge a relationship or have a difficult conversation, even when I'm nervous about how it might come across or, or the, you know, stepping on people's toes. Um, but I think there's also between us a sense of trust, and that's what's caused there to be um, the kind of cooperation that we feel, right? Like, you trust that, that I think I would say maybe you trust that like, I still have a respect for those foundational things and that like, um, that when I challenge you, it's with the best of intentions or that, you know, you allow me into those spaces. Um, and I trust that like, you know, <laughs> that in your occasional insensitivity that you're still good and that you still do care about people. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not so sensitive to, to those situations and, so I think that trust that we have, that benefit of the doubt that we give each other, even in our differences, has allowed us to to not only tolerate each other's differences and frustrations, but to, to for it to grow and influence each other. I, I completely agree with that, and I think that we, we make each other better for it. So who, who did you talk to today, and how, how does this relate to it? Yeah, so I talked to a, a really interesting uh, woman that I actually met through a podcasting uh, community online, and she uh, has a podcast on power. And so she talks a lot about relationship dynamics, and she's recently become interested in this idea of personality types. And we had a great conversation where she talked about things from uh, her how her personality affected her upbringing to her adult relationships to her career. Um, she has a rare personality type for in general and especially for being a woman. Um, so seeing her kind of curiosity and applying this, these things to her work as a podcaster and academic, and just as a person in the world trying to relate was a lot of fun. So I'm excited to share this interview. I'm really excited too. All right, let's get into it then. But initially when I got my four letters, I learned that I was a rare type. Um, I, I'm an, I'm considered to be an INTJ. I'll explain that if you need, if you want me to later, but as an INTJ, tech, officially I make up I'm the second rarest personality type. But as a woman, because most INTJs are men, but as an INTJ female, I am the rarest out there. (laughs) Beyond being an INTJ, Dr. Angela Dye is the developer of the Empowerment Starts Here brand, where she brings together the social sciences and education to promote social change and resistance for disadvantaged communities. She's a published author creator of the Empowerment Framework, an emerging theory for teaching and learning, a developer of K-12 curriculum for higher order thinking and social action, and is a former charter school designer and operator. Dr. Dai holds a bachelor's degree in social science and education, a master's degree in school and instructional leadership, and a PhD in education, where she studied power as related to low-income African-American learners. She currently serves as an adjunct professor teaching graduate students and theories on human development, learning, and leadership. She is also a public speaker and serves as life coach for those living in the margins. Finally, she's the host and executive producer of the Empowerment Starts Here podcast, 
where she talks weekly about power, social change, and disrupting the margins. I've heard this podcast. You should definitely check it out. And having listened to this podcast, it's not a surprise to me that even her personality type subverts norms and expectations. It's an INTJ. The T stands for thinking, um, externally thinking. I'm a thinker. And most women are expected and inclined to be feelers. So that's another thing that makes it odd and rare for me. So because I've had some turbulence in terms of friendships, which we're going to talk about, and relationships, I've found the discovery of those four codes to be so helpful. Help me understand what the turbulence is about. You know what I mean? Help me to figure out how I need to better position myself to people. And I think that's really what, not, not with me in work, you know, I think what is really why I'm so happy about it is because it really helps me to better understand my personal life and some of the personal choices that I've made consistently out my uh, my life. Um, and it's funny because a lot of people will, you know, they think you, you choose the INTJ because it sounds like, ooh, I have a weird personality type. There is nothing to me fun about it other than, like, as an, as an INTJ, I'm great at, in terms of my work. I think that's what makes me, you know, the, when you read my bio and I, as I was listening to it, I was like, I am DJ, I am DJ, I am DJ, right? Those four letters have really worked for me. Those traits have really worked for me in terms of being a creator in the world. Um, but those four letters do not translate well with people. This theme of work versus relationships, productivity versus connection, seems to come up a couple times throughout our conversation. When Angela faced the loss of a loved one, she had to confront this tension, and she realized that forming friendships was something that she wanted to make a priority. Um, my grandfather, um, well, I now lost both my grandparents, but initially back in 07, I had just lost my, my grandfather. And being at the funeral was eye-opening for me, because I didn't have anyone there for me. Now, I had my family. They were there. And I had a couple of friends who I will say came to support me, but I was just looking at like somebody like my mother, who's an extrovert. She had a whole entourage of people outside of the family to support her. And that struck me as, huh, where are your people, you know? Mm-hmm. And I had a person who worked for me who was always challenging me to get out in the world. Like, Angela, you're, probably, you're always working. And at the time, I believed, I'm supposed to work like this around 24-7. Like, that's my purpose on this earth, <laughs> just to work all day. <laughs> and so I think if that, that was a time in my life where I was starting to realize that there is more to work. There really is more to work. Even though I had been consumed work, and I really love my work. I love it. But there is more to that. And so I think I naively thought that I could just make this decision and say, oh, this more work. Let's start building friends. No. <laughs> no, no. So it's like I came outside of play, and I didn't know how to play. You know what I mean? Like, I've been stuck inside working all the time, and then I decided, oh, this is going to go out. I didn't make friends. And it just hasn't worked that way. Exploring the insights of personality theory allowed Angela to see that friendships have not come easy, partly because of these natural tendencies. We're introverted, so that, uh, I, which means I get most of my energy from, from when I'm alone. 
And it bothers me when people think introverts are shy and timid. I'm not shy, <laughs> and I'm not timid, but I do get, I do need to be alone to be recharged. Whereas my mom is an extrovert. My goodness, she has to be around people to be <laughs> to recharge. So as INTJs, we go inward, so we're, we don't have a lot of skills of being out and um, and interacting with people because that's not our our energy source. You get what I'm saying? So if, yeah. if that's not how we get our energy, we're not really good at developing the skills so we can get more to be around people because that's not how we get our energy. So I would say that about the, the, the introverted side of me, and then I said that we are very much attracted to concepts and knowing, like it's this deep knowing, and I talked to you earlier about an irrational knowing. Um, so there's this knowing that we have. So there are other irrationals. Um, so what's different about, I'm going to say this. Mm-hmm. So as an irrational knower, as an introvert, I my INTJ says that I might note irrationally, like I'll have an impression or just a gut, gut impression of something, but I'm not going to be satisfied with that because the T in the INTJ then sends me into action. Let's test it, let's validate it, let's explore it in the world, let's create something out of it. And and not just create something about it, let's make sure it's effective. So we want to be effective with that intuition. I have had friends who are intuitive, but they're also feelers. What's fascinating for me about a feeler who's intuitive is that they can have a gut reaction and have no desire to test it. They're just like, yep, I know. I know it is. I know in this irrational way, and I don't care if it's right or wrong. They just kind of go with it. Uh, who I am is I'm not. I, I, I know something. I got to make sure I know it. So I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of testing. I do a lot of exploring. And so it's all of that that makes um, us different. And then I wanted to say this last piece of it. And then the J piece is that um, we're not open ended. We're very, very, very defined, very structured, very orderly. And so. Um, when you're dealing with people, you kind of need to be open. You know what I mean? You kind of need to breathe with them. I call it dancing, moving back and forth. And J's aren't as flexible to do that. So all four of those kind of make it very difficult without me knowing it. Like now I better understand how to present myself to people. It even kind of gives them like a disclaimer or a warning and kind of you know, <laughs> my time out here in the world is going to be limited. In addition, I'm going to have to go back home and read a book. But I'm just letting you know, I can hang out with you for a couple cocktails and that's it. But um, um, I think before I even knew that about myself, I was, you know, I said, I'm going to go out and play. I'm going to go out and make friends. And I didn't understand who I was presenting to people. And I didn't understand that they needed something from me. Beyond helping her understand her own traits and tendencies, Myers-Briggs has served as a kind of equalizing force, where the different types are just different, and the work of making friends ceases to be changing ourselves on demand and becomes finding those who accept us as we are right now. And I think that's kind of where I'm at with the Myers-Briggs for myself. Like, I'm an INTJ. I'm not going to be able to change. It's just who I am. So I need to do a better job when I go into friendships. I need to make sure that I'm trying to befriend people who are okay with who I am, as opposed to having these relationships and then feeling bad, you know, feeling bad because I'm me. You know what I mean? Like this song that says, I'm, I was, come on now, I was born this way. 
Right. Lady Gaga, right? Yeah. I love that song so much because I was born this way. I'm wired to think and to create and to solve problems. I'm wired. And I, for a long time, I went through this phase of trying to do something different so that I could go outside the stage and play and make friends. And I, and, I, and I think what I'm accepting now is that, hey, this is what it is. And there are other people who are more compatible to you. But I have to be responsible and like picking the right job, I have to be responsible in picking the right friends. So sure. maybe when you call, have, have me back on in a few years, I'll be like, hey, I'm, I got all these friends. But <laughs> <And> they're compatible <laughs> to the INTJ. And actually, INTJs, we don't need a lot of friends. We just need a couple of videos. Otherwise, that would be very special. But anyway, so that's kind of how it has really helped me um, on a personal level. So you think, I think what I'm hearing is a big function of your work with Myers-Briggs, or your understanding of it, has been to be able to accept and and in some ways take pride in um, your personality and, and in who you are, not just in your work, but then bringing that acceptance and pride into your personal life and your relationships. Is that is that true? Yeah, yeah. One thing I did say is that I, I was raised... Um, with a problem, a problematized personality. So coming up, my personality was problematized by my caregivers and people around me. Yeah, so I think, I think you know, um, I, I was looking at someone's uh, profile pic on Facebook uh, earlier today. It was interesting. They had a, um, um, a poster that said, most parents prepare their kids for the world. I prepare the world for my kids. Oh, that, oh my gosh. Mm. That landed on me so much because I think in my caregivers, and I take caregivers because I come from this alternative structure where I was parented by a number of people um, because my mom was a single parent. Um, so my caregivers were trying to prepare me for the world. And in trying to prepare me for the world, I think they understood you can't do that. Or this is what you're doing. That's not going to work out there. And I'll, I'm very mindful of the privilege that I have had to go to school, to get advanced degrees. I always try to tell myself, don't expect people to know what you know. You go to school to know what you know. So my caregivers didn't have advanced education. So they didn't have exposure to psychology and how you should talk to a child and how you shouldn't talk to a child, you know. Um, and, and, and we would have to have a different conversation later that there are even some people who believe, and there are people who disagree with this, but there are, I, there are people who believe that this, the, legacy, the legacy of slavery has had an impact on how uh, African Americans have parented their kids. So that's a separate conversation. So I tell you both of those to say that the words aren't always kind coming up about my personality. So I grew up really, really thinking, what is wrong? You know what I mean? Like, I'm bad, you know? You know, um, and I was told by one of my caregivers that I was not likable. You're not likable. And that's a hard thing to have to hear as a child, you know what I mean? Yeah, From a is... caregiver, mm. you know? And so I'm talking to you in a very... Um, I'm very strong and comfortable in sharing this story now, but there was a time when I was shamed by it, pain, and so you would have to pick up, you would have to read that piece that I wrote for my birthday because I talk about 
that that part of my life and how I where I am now. But for coming up in a space where your personality is problematized, that's the one piece I wanted to share. Why the Myers Briggs has also been very helpful because it's like, hey, let's strip the judgment. Let's take the good, you know, because on the flip side of it being problematized, I've also been praised for my, not necessarily my personality, but what my, the production of my personality. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, she got there. Oh, she wrote a book. Oh, she started her own school, right? She's right. great with students. So I've been praised for it as well. And I think the Myers-Briggs strips all that. It's not good or bad. It's just it. You know what I mean? It, it neutralizes it. And yeah. It gives you room to breathe. It gives you room to breathe. You know? So that's so yes. I know you recapped it, but I wanted to add that other layer that I thought I think it's important as it relates to you. As yeah. an INTJ. I'm not just an INTJ woman, I'm not just black. But I also come from um a, a space that wasn't always affirming in my personality, not because they were trying to be mean. They were just trying to prepare me for the world. <laughs> and that's just how they did it. Yeah. No, and I appreciate that because I think another piece of this that's important is to to remind people that with all the benefits of the of personality research and work is that we all embody these ideas and these personality types individually, right? Not only in our life experiences, but in the way that we choose to engage um, with the world, also the ways that we use this knowledge when we have it. And the more that we learn, um, how does that affect? And in fact, when I was... <laughs> When I was when I was thinking and preparing for our conversation, I was thinking back to one of the interviews that I listened to from your podcast. Um, I think one of the one of the very first interviews um, where you're talking, one of your guests was talking about the the idea of power in relation to being able to be yourself, and I thought that was really wonderful. Um, you know, there's a lot of things in my life where I think about what parts of my personality, what parts of my life experience, am I um, empowered to share or not in different situations and how what impact has that had on me and I think you bring up this idea of personality and when you've been empowered to um, to have a space to to be yourself and to um, live out those things that are most natural and comfortable uh, and bring you joy and and when you haven't but um, as you said in terms of those four traits and how they work in terms of the cognitive function. That's just, I would call that nature. And so as a social scientist, I, people here in my body are more the educator in me, but my first degree is in social science. As a social scientist, there's this huge debate, you know, nature-nurture, right? Well, we, I believe that it's a combination of both. So I might come into the world with this natural wiring, but now I encounter us. We each have our own experiences in the social world, right? And because of my work with, in social science with power, the level of power determines to what degree we have access to resources to be, to be our natural selves, and therefore we have to start doing these tricks on how to survive in a social world that we, where we don't have access to the resources that we actually need. So in saying that, I think that's packaged together. With me being an INTJ being very, very rare, and um, and people like people like others who can relate to them and they can see themselves in. Well, if I have a rare personality, it's very difficult for people to see themselves in. You feel what I'm saying? So that makes sense to me now. You take that and then you also put it inside of the context of coming from, and it's what I talk about on my podcast, and I know 
some people maybe they're just like, aren't, won't be able to get down with this, and I'm okay with that. But for politically, I believe that we live in a social world that has that has margins, you know, that that um, where some people have access to resources or more resources than others, and that can have a cycle a physiological experience, even a physiological experience, a psychological one, an economic one, right? And so when you take all of that together, I think I have had to try to maneuver my way through the world and build friendships either by, by way of those who can relate to me socioeconomically, sociopolitically, and then trying to find people who can relate to me intellectually. It's been very difficult to find people who can relate to me on both levels and then me being an INTJ. So, you know, being a being black, uh, uh, it's funny because I have a lot of my a lot of my black friends now. Um, <laughs> because I'm degreed, I'm probably accessing different types of people. And so it's funny because a lot of my black friends now are middle class. And when I started talking about um, my upbringing, lower socioeconomic background, they're like, "Why are you making that up?" I'm like, "Well, I'm not making that up. <laughs> I'm not making it up." <laughs> You know, and so I, I'm fascinated by them because they're like, they're fascinated because they have two parents. Oh my gosh, you grew up with two parents in the home? Oh my gosh, your mom did not just have one degree, she had two degrees? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do you know how that impacted you versus my experience? And I also come from a background, there was physical violence in the house, there was emotional violence and all of that. So all of those things makes it very difficult for me. I don't know. And maybe in a year or two or five years, I'm going to say, Angela, those are excuses. And they might be. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm so excited about growing. But right now, right now, this is what I'm trying to manage all of. I'm, I'm an intellectual. I love learning. And as you know, we live in a culture that can be very anti-intellectual at times, right? Mm. So the moment they find out I got three letters behind my name, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I forget about it, you know. So um, I'm an intellectual. I'm also very political. Um, and um, and I have this background that, that kind of left fingerprints on me. You know what I mean? That I've had to do a lot of work with healing from. And so I would say all of that to say that um, it hasn't been easy to find one person who can do all of that. That's a tall order to put on a plan. My, my one friend, who uh, we've been friends since 14, I was 14, I consider her my best friend, and we've had an amazing friendship. Um, but about seven years ago, probably a little longer, we didn't know it, we were coming into our 40s, coming into our own sense, right? Because once you get your 40s, you start feeling secure, like this is who I am. And we realized that the thing that brought us together as children kind of didn't really sustain us in our adult 40-year-old world. And it was a very difficult, it was very difficult and painful for both of us because it was like we have been each other's lifeline. She's been my lifeline. I've been her lifeline. What do you mean you don't think the way I think? <laughs> you know, we have a conversation and we disagree. What do you mean I disagree with you on that? Like, gosh, we're on the same page. We've always been on the same page. Uh-uh. And so, um, so for about five years, um, well, five years it was really turbulent. And then I would say for about two years we didn't talk. Mm-hmm. And six months ago we reconnected. We reconnected and it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, back in high school again, you know what I mean? Like, whatever that thing is that makes us connect, it's still there. 
But we are also trying to get to know each other too, right? You know what I mean? And um, it's kind of fascinating because it's it's like, and I guess this is what it's like to be married to somebody for a lifetime, right? Because you don't stay the same. You grow and you evolve. But in this particular friendship, I'm learning her in her adult self. And she's learning me and my daughter. And there are things about us that we would like, if it was somebody else, we would be like, I'm not going to be doing that person. But because we have so much history and, I, and we love each other, we've been doing the work. So I'm, I'm super excited to have her back in my life. Um, and I'm glad to know the personality guys so I could even warn her about me. You know? <laughs> so that's, that's the person that I would say. And, and, and because she came from, we had very similar uh, familial childhood experiences, similar socioeconomic experiences. She, I feel like she gets me at a core level. Sure. That does sound exciting. I actually have a high school friend I've started to to reconnect with and spend some more time with, and it is really re- rewarding. But I mean, what your description of, of your friendship reminds me of, too, is, again, going back to this general framework of perceiving and knowing and judging um, you know, that as we grow up, those those people that we know, whether it's parents or early childhood friends, um, you know, we may have those core traits about how we do those things. But then the things as we go through life that we perceive and the judgments that we make and the decisions that we make based on those judgments, um, you know, fill out our person, I think, a lot more. And uh and so then, yeah, that that we become a person who you need to be reacquainted with, even if there are those core things that haven't changed. So that's really, and I and I love the way that you you're the excitement when you said I'm obsessed with with growing. I had that same high school friend actually told me the same thing. She said you were always obsessed with, with uh, you know, with with progress and growth, and and so I I connect with with that excitement and with that idea of of, um, you know, and I think even it comes across when you talk about being reconnected with your friend, because I sense there that there's not only a desire for like the nostalgia of an old friend, but also this can grow into something even deeper because of the roots, but then our, you know, the capacity to get to know each other anew. And there's an excitement about that growth there, you know, that potential. Um, I'd like to ask one last brief question that I, that we ask in all of our, our interviews. Um, is just what does it mean to you to be a good friend? And I appreciate that you had said earlier that you that you don't want to romanticize the friendship, and I I think that's important too. You know, in all in our some of our promotion and different things, we talk about how we believe re- life is richer with friends by our side, but that doesn't buy that doesn't in any way mean that that's always sunshine and roses. I believe that that struggle and strife and conflict. Um, can make us better and can make life richer, even if it's not always enjoyable or, or sunny. So I appreciate you pointing that out, that it's friendship isn't always to be romanticized, that it can be either work or we can be betrayed by friends, or that's just a part of, a part of that journey. But insofar as growth and and understanding friendship, what, what, what makes a good friend to you? You know, I, I don't I I feel like that's a tough question because I'm learning that, you know, I have to learn it. Um I I don't know. I, I don't know. I can tell you it feels I think you need a good friend. But I think what it means to be a good friend is subjective. It's it's going to be based on the people. You know, I don't know if I 
think it's a universal answer. I really, I'm, you know, because for me, I like loyalty. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. know, you do, have you heard the expression, ride or die? I want to be ride or die with you, you know. And I want that in return. I'm going to give you that. But other people don't need it. And it's so funny because a friend of mine, my, my good friend yesterday, I hope I'm not saying too much, but she just, um, she had another friend that she's been uh, supporting through some health issues. And, and I said to her, I said, wow, she's really a good friend for you to, to bring you into that part of your, your life. And, and then we ended up having a conversation. And my friend was like, well, you and I, you and I look at that as closeness, you know, being close. But she was like, I don't know if everybody thinks that that's a sign of being close. And it just made me go, huh. That's a, I, so I don't have an answer. I don't know what it is. I'm going to have to listen to your podcast and learn now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, but I think that's a beautiful answer. I mean, we've talked about uh, how we're different in our personalities, how we grow, how we change, um, you know, how we develop and discover that desire to engage people and come out of our comfort zones. And I think that that answer is... is uh, speaks wonderfully to the journey that you're on and, and to, I think, um, the themes that our listeners can can draw out of this conversation is that we're all figuring this out <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's personal and it's individual um, and it's dynamic and, and in some instances fluid. Um, so I think that's that openness you have and with all of your qualifications and, and social sciences and education and I think the humility of being able to say I'm not sure I'm still learning is really beautiful so um, I had a big smile on my face when, when you said that answer and, and I, I think there's a lot to be learned from that so I appreciate it and, and I thank you for what you're doing so uh, the, uh, the line about um, how her friends had to relearn her as an adult. Yeah. I think for people like me and you who settle down early and we have kids early, um, it's really relatable. Uh, we, I mean, I know you and I both have friends who just don't get it. Um, and it doesn't matter what we do or what we say. They, they don't, they have to completely under, you know, we're not who we were when we're 20, you know, we're not who we are when yeah. we're, when we're, you know, 16. It's, it's a, it's a very difficult transition sometimes. So um, last summer, uh, it was a really hot summer. Um, I had a friend come out and visit me, and we, um, I knew this guy from college, and he uh, was going through some stuff, and I was going through some stuff. We were trying to figure out, you know, like like I, I had a had a brief moment of uh, unhealthy time, and he just wanted to come out and say hi and see sort of how I was doing and offer his support and really good to see him. You know, the problem is the last time he saw me, um, I was 19. So a lot of changes happened since I was 19. So we would, he would come and we'd hang out and he would chill with my kids and he's a great guy. I love this guy. And then the kids would go to bed. He's great with the kids too. And then the kids go to bed and he'd be like, let's go to the bar. And you know, we'd, we'd schlep our way down to the bar. This one within walking distance from my house. And we'd go there every night for like a week and by the end of the week i was just so tired i was so tired and and because i am not used to being out past like you know nine o'clock every night so um you know i I think that transition that like that that idea that people need to 
understand that we are organic beings and that we change and that who we are is not always who we used to be. I mean, you and I are very different than um, who we were in college, you know, and, and, and the fact that we, we stick with each other throughout that is wonderful. Um, but we don't always have the same contact with people as much as you and I do. Yeah, I think that that's always jarring, right? When we go such a long time, period of time and then reconnect with somebody. Uh, I think you have some people who you meet that are like, oh, wow, you haven't changed an iota. And that's almost like it's telling that that's almost a sign of immaturity. Like we're like, oh, that that person should have changed. Like that old thing that we write in our high school yearbooks, like never change. Like, no, no, please change. God, I do not want to be who I was at 16, 17 years old. Um but I, I think her point, too, and as it relates to our personality types, is that, like, we can have some of those same tendencies, some of those same personality traits, but how they cause us to interact with the world and how the world reacts back to us just just really alters the kind of person that we are. I mean, I, you know, I'm still an extrovert in a sense, but that looks so much different because I've was so uh, ostentatious, for lack of a, a more insane word, uh, in, in my youth and in certain parts, even in college. Um, and I went through different moments of being like rejected for that or turned down. And and that affected me. I'm a lot more hesitant in, in how I uh, relate to other people. I'm a, lot, a little more guarded, you know, and maybe even a little more cynical. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like we all grow and change and we learn like, we refine how we want to present ourselves because of those moments of like rejection or, or clarity that we've gotten in, in interacting with the world. And, um, but I think that uh, as she, as I mentioned, you know, when she talks about getting to know again, her friend from earlier in life that I sensed like kind of a, an excitement about that opportunity. And I think that it's a matter of taking advantage of that capacity to, to reconnect with people and to respect, um, to respect and admire like who they become in the growth. And that, that can be a really cool thing in a relationship. I think understanding like what she said that her personality was problematized, you know, and seeing that, you know, not viewing the whole person, like, like all of our personality traits come from somewhere, whether or not you're, you know, extroversion. And I was perfectly extroverted when I took it in college and, you know, that gets me in trouble all the time. So I start to get dialed down more and more and more. Um, you know, all of those events come from, or all those personality traits come from events in our life, and all of those personality traits develop as events in our lives develop as well. So, as kind of an interesting thing, uh, I asked some friends of mine to um, take the Myers-Briggs, or one of my friends, to take the Myers-Briggs with his wife and see how um, he reacted to the questions as they came up, and I think you might like to hear what they say. So, I am taking a personality test. Uh, to see what personality type I am. My name is Andy Bisha, and let's have some fun. Okay, you find it difficult to introduce yourself to other people. Nope. I'm very, I can very easily introduce myself to people. You often get lost in thought, thoughts that you ignore or forget your surroundings. I'm going to go a little green on that. What does green mean? Green means I agree with a little bit. Okay. Three green is the closest to 100% that you can be, whereas three red is closest to 100% disagree. So now that we have that out of the way, 
You try to respond to your emails as soon as possible and cannot stand a messy inbox. <laughs> Andy currently has like 1,500 unread emails in his inbox. They're all super old. By the way, this is my wife, Sarah, uh, berating me. I'm going to go with a two red on that. That's pretty good. I'm going with I don't agree completely. Well, but. you know, like, I, I do go through periods where I purge it, and I'm like, I can't stand it anymore. I got to do it. So I would say it would be 100% if I didn't do that. <laughs> so I do. You do not usually initiate conversations. Oh, 100% disagree. <laughs> you are usually highly motivated and energetic. I'm going to go... You're for sure energetic. Yep. <laughs> I'm pretty motivated. I'm not going to go 100% on that. So you consider yourself more practical than creative. Mm, I'm going to go with the two red because I am pretty creative. And not very practical. <laughs> may, I, you, may, you know what? Before you came into my life, I'd say I'm, I was 100% disagree. Now, I'm right right there in the middle on disagree. I'm a little bit more practical because of you. Good. People can rarely upset you. So, it's funny, like, taking this test and, and thinking, like, where we were, like, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Because it was, like... My level of people upsetting me was, like, my tolerance was so much higher. People don't upset you too often. It's just when they do, you get really flustered. Right. It is often difficult for you to relate to other people's feelings. Oh, 100% disagree. Look, I can be mad at somebody, but I will still find a way to relate to them and understand, you know, how they are. An interesting book or video game is often better than a social event. Not really, because I like being social. I like, but I'm not... This is where we differ, because I would 100% agree with See, that statement. But, you know, again, as I was as I was younger, it would have been 100% disagree. Now it's only a one red. I do like being around people and being social. But you also like spending time with me. Th- that's and, you know, a I people. I disagree with that, though. So you disagree that this is what I th- I am? No, no. Like, oh, okay. You, I disagree with going to the social events, so you would rather stay home and play an interesting video game with me while I do something else than go If to a my wife event. is allowing me to play video games all day, <laughs> then uh, yeah. It has shifted so much. I mean, I don't want to put anything neutral, but I am social. You're very social. So that's... A one red. I'm social. When you sleep, your dreams tend to focus on the real world and its events. One green. Um, I do get the occasional look at me. I can fly. Oh my gosh! It turned into a sandwich. I'm usually thinking about all work stuff. Logic is usually more important than hearts when it comes to making important decisions. I agree, but only one green. Because when you make a decision, your heart is next to your gut. And your gut, it's near it. 
My wife is showing me where the heart and the gut are. It's close enough. Look, they're neighbors. And sometimes the heart goes, well, how you doing? I want to borrow a cup of sugar. Good. And he's like, not right now. I have a bad feeling or a good feeling about this person, place, or thing. Your friend is sad about something. You are more likely to offer emotional support than suggest a way to deal with the problem. I am definitely going to offer emotional support. Like, but I'm also going to talk about the problem. I mean, for me, you always offer to watch Mad Max. That's a solution. That's a solution. Yes. So I'm just saying you always offer a solution to me. I'm going to go one red because I do want to, you know what? Two red. No, I'm two red. You know, I'm going to tell you why I am going to offer that emotional support, but I'm, I'm like, I'm a fixer. Like I want to fix the problem. Like I don't like when people are sad or upset or stressed and it's just, I got to fix it. You are, you rarely feel insecure. You know what? No, no, I I do feel insecure sometimes. And it's just, I think that anybody that says that they don't feel insecure is, is, you know, a little too sure of themselves. You know, I I think we all have moments of insecurity. And, you know, no matter what, it's there. You just have to deal with it. You feel more energetic after spending time with a group of people. I do. You frequently misplace your things. A hundred percent. Just about every day. What do I misplace, honey? Where are my glasses? Exactly. You ask any of my employees what do I misplace all the time, they say... Where are my glasses? Exactly. The room is full. You stay close to the walls to avoid... No, disagree. I'm in the center dancing, break dancing, and then sprain my ankle, and then I got to go to the hospital. But everyone was like, dude, you see that guy bust his ankle? He tried hard. You feel very anxious and s- anxious in stressful situations. Hmm. Explain that to me, wife. When you're in a stressful situation, are you, like, super nervous and not sure what to do and kind of frantic? And I, based on an incredibly stressful recent experience... I'm going to say you should 100% disagree with that. You know, I I think that in those moments of high amounts of stress, like for the big, we talked about this the other day, like the big things that happen, like I can basically shut everything down. Like when my dad died and I was in this tiny room in this hospital, I just got there and my family's all in there and I'm like, what's going on? My dad just had a heart attack and they're like, we're so sorry. And they hugged me and they were crying. And I didn't cry at all. I didn't shed one single tear. And I said, okay, what do we do next? What is the next step in this situation? And and I didn't cry for like a week after he was dead. Because it was like I had to bury my dad. But, you know, and uh, situations that we've been in through together, personal situations... You know, I took care of business and it was like, that's good for you to know that I can do that as your husband, as your partner, as your best friend. You often take initiative at social situations. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to hit red on this. Nope. 100% green. Oh boy. All right. Your personality type is a protagonist. ENFJA. 
I am 96% extroverted. 63%. I know, right? 63% intuitive. Nature. Oh, I love feeling. 69%. 58% judging. 71% assertive. And my picture is a man with a sword. I friggin' nailed this test. I win. What did, What do I get? Nothing. I get nothing? You get to understand yourself a little bit better. I understand myself plenty. I'm and just loud. Tony knows you pretty well because Tony guessed that you were going to be... Let me pull it up again really quick. Tony guessed you were going to be an ESFJ. What's S? one letter off. S. What is... Sensing. Sensing? So it would be... Oh, yeah. I'm very intuitive. I'm very smart. Well, that's it for me. Uh, Andy Bisha here. Uh, I am a protagonist, ENFJ-A. Better With You is hosted by Anthony Esser and Miles Woodfield, with help from Pat Hicks and our creative producer, Sarah Bisha. Music in this episode is by Miles Woodfield on his beloved Gibson mandolin. A special thanks to Andy Bisha and New Radio Media. Today's episode was edited and produced by Anthony Esser. Credit to 16personalities.com for information on Myers-Briggs personality theory and personality type descriptions used throughout this episode. If you like this show, remember to give us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Follow us on social media at Better With You Podcast for extras and previews of upcoming content. I would really encourage you to check us out on social media this week to find links to an article that Dr. Dye wrote expanding on her reflections on personality theory and relationships. Thank you so much for listening. Making this podcast is a lot of fun and is always better with you. You rarely get carried away by fantasies and ideas. Ha! Ha ha. I, I, I... <laughs> You saw me pulling the Kleenex. Restart. I, did, I thought you were going to kill a, sp- a spider. No. A, sp- a spider-man.